The psalm that expresses a desire for revenge. And I mean it does it in some pretty pretty bold terms. Uh, The psalmist, and and we're not really positive exactly what the circumstances were behind this psalm, but if you look back at this, you'll notice that he is addressing the wicked, and he's talking about them uh, being sinful from the moment they're born, they're liars. Uh, He talks about their their violence, and then he comes down to verse 6, and and here is, this kind of blows your mind. Because there's an expression of a desire for revenge for the things that were done. Break their teeth in their mouth, oh God. Doesn't that bless your heart? I mean, you read that and it's like, wow. Break out the fangs of the young lions, oh Lord. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as if cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes. You ever see on your sidewalk, you walk out in the morning after the snails have been crawling across and you see this little squiggly line of where some of the snail is left behind? And he's saying, let them be like that kind of a snail, like a stillborn child and a woman that they may not see the sun. And then he goes on and he talks about other issues uh, related to revenge. And, And as you read that, it really makes you wonder, what is this all about? This does not seem consistent with where the Lord would want his people to be. And the honest truth is that there are several factors that come into play when you're dealing with what we call this imprecatory psalm. One is this. I think it genuinely shows the desire for revenge that a deeply offended, deeply hurt individual seeks in the lives of those who do not know the true God, who are living in rebellion against God. And because David in this case, and in some cases it it will be other writers of uh, impregnatory psalms, they will be expressing the, the thing that's really within our own hearts. And sometimes it's not a good thing. But, but God's word doesn't hide the things that aren't good. It tells us this, this is the way a person who's seeking revenge and vindication, the way they might respond. What's interesting, as you read these psalms, you begin to see a shift in the heart of the psalmist as he's looking for this revenge. And ultimately, he comes to the place where he realizes that the true issue is not the offense that was caused to him or the hurt that he endured, but it is really an affront to the true and the living God. And he comes to the place where he recognizes that ultimately it is the Lord's honor that must be defended. And it is the Lord's glory that must be exalted. And as you come to the end of this imprecatory psalm, you read there it says, The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. This is on behalf of the Lord's righteousness. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked so that men will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. And ultimately, that's where we need to come. When when there is a desire for revenge, when there's a desire to seek to even the score, it's really not about us. The only issue that really matters is the Lord. And 
on our behalf, he says he will take care of things. But on our behalf, we want his behalf. We want him to be glorified. So when you read these Psalms, read them with understanding. Read that, yes, there's expression of the lower level of man's desire. And then begin to realize that as that lower desire is exposed, the realities of what should bring glory to God begin to emerge and the wicked will need to be judged. And there will be a time in which vindication will occur, but it will ultimately be for the Lord's glory. Now, having said that, there is only one verse that I would like us to focus our attention upon because it launches us into an understanding of some of these issues that are really kind of behind the scenes. The way people listen to what God has to say. And if you will please, look with me at verse 4 where it says this. Speaking about the wicked, it says their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ears, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. The Lord tells us that there are ears that certain people have that are unwilling to listen to truth. We would call them, in this case, the word that's used here describing this wicked person is someone who has stopped ears. They are the ones who refuse to hear the truth of what God's word has to say. And as we look at Psalm 58.4, this is a real characteristic of this wicked person, this person upon whom the psalmist is seeking vindication and, and revenge as well. It's the person who has access to that which is truth and then makes a conscious decision. I'm not going to obey. Doesn't matter what God's word has to say. Doesn't matter what God himself declares. I am not going to obey. We have a variety of passages throughout the scriptures that deal with this, but I want you to draw attention, or I want to draw your attention, to an individual with whom most of us would be familiar and look at the characteristics of those who ultimately put him to death. When Stephen was declaring the truth of God's word, there were those who were the enemies of Christ who just recently had put Christ on the cross. And now Stephen is confronting them with the truth of who Christ is. And in Acts chapter 7, we read this, and I'm just going to begin reading at the, the 51st verse. Stephen is speaking now to these religious leaders, and he says to them, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Now, everything he's telling them is truth. Your forefathers put the prophets to death. They resisted the prophets. And then, when the Messiah came, you killed him. You hung him on the cross. When they heard these things, 
rather than receive them as truth, it says they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. And then God did something very, very special on behalf of Stephen. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This was truth. This is the reality of what lies before those who know Christ as their Savior. There is a heaven. There is a Christ who is there waiting for his people. And now here is Stephen being persecuted for the cause of Christ. And he makes this declaration of truth of what he has seen. And what does he do? Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. As I look at the culture in which we live, what I see is a majority of people who don't want to hear the truth. Most will not expose themselves to a service such as this, though there are many, many places right around us here where the truth of God's Word is being proclaimed, where truth is declared without compromise, without trying to butter things over. The truth is being expressed, and people will not come. There is an even worse issue when people do come and when they hear the truth they get up and walk out say have you ever had that happen pastor yes there have been occasions where as I'm speaking the truth I I trust it's the truth well let me let me back up I can make mistakes in presenting the truth. God's word is always truth. You understand what I'm saying here? All right. I just may not say it the right way. Or maybe it's that that I'm being offensive. And you don't want that because you don't want the truth to be overshadowed by a personality that is just nasty. So I'm confessing to you that that's always a possibility. But I know of situations where people have literally stood up, walked out, and then later on I hear about how they did not want to hear the things that I was saying. If you want to see an example, and and I guess you're not supposed to do stuff like this, but that doesn't stop me. Um, An example of people who honestly don't want to hear the whole truth, go to Joel Olstein's church. Okay? Not supposed to call names, right? But honestly, I, I hear Christians tell me how good they think Joel Olstein is. And you've got to know something. He does not preach the whole truth. He preaches one side of truth, never to address the negative issues that are part of the reality of our lives. The Lord says that we are to preach the whole counsel of God, not just the good things, the things that tickle people's ears and make them feel good. And so you have in churches today and all around us today people 
who stop their ears, they do not want to hear the truth. And let me ask you, do you stop your ears? Do you say, you know what, I don't want to hear this. Can't wait to get out of here. Eh, less than an hour you'll be out. I want you to look at a second type of ear, and it's the stubborn ear. It's the ear that refuses to obey when they hear the truth, they know the truth, but instead of saying, I'm not going to listen to the truth, they just say, I'm not going to obey the truth. The one keeps the truth from entering their mind. The other says, oh yeah, I know that this is truth, but I'm not going to pay any attention to it. There was a situation that Nehemiah addressed when, or I should say it was actually the Levites who addressed this uh, because they had, uh, you're aware that Ezra went back after the destruction of the temple of, of, uh, in Jerusalem in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. Then the, the decree came down from Cyrus that they were allowed to go back and under Artaxerxes, Nehemiah went back to rebuild the walls of the city. Ezra had gone back to, to rebuild the temple. And when they are dedicating the reconstruction project, the Bible tells us that the the Levites, those who were involved in priestly duties, made a confession before God. And listen to what they say in Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 29. Uh, Actually, let me begin at verse 28, because 29 catches in the middle of this. It says, but after they had rest, now this is the confession of the Levites, speaking now about the Israelites, but after they had rest, they again did evil before you, Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and testified against them, that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly, and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. These were the stubborn Israelites who had been given the truth. They knew the truth. They understood the truth, but they refused to obey the truth. There are a variety of different examples of that that we have throughout Scripture. You remember Balaam? Balaam was this this man that um, was called upon by an enemy of the Israelites, by Balak, to come and curse the Israelites. Because in Balak's mind, if Balaam, who was known to have communication with the true God of heaven, if Balaam would curse them, then perhaps Balak could defeat them and uh, be protected from this onslaught of the Israelites who were preparing to move into the land that God had promised them and had given them. And so Balak sends emissaries 
to Balaam. Did I say that right? Balak sent emissaries to Balaam. And they said, uh, will you come and curse the people of Israel? And Balaam said, well, let me check with God first. So the Bible tells us that he went and he prayed. And the Lord said, don't you dare go with them. Period. Pretty simple. Balak goes back. He says, nope. He says, I can't do it. God has told me not to do it. Now the ante starts rising. And Balak's emissaries present to him a greater reward if he will come. And he says, all right, uh, how about if we do this, will you come? And then instead of obeying what God had to say, Balaam goes back to God again and says, Lord, how about this time if I go? And the Lord said to Balaam, all right. And by the way, sometimes God's judgment is his letting us do what we want that's in opposing opposition to him. Do you, do you all get that? Do you get what I'm saying? He just says, okay, go, go do what you want, but that's going to come down on you. <laughs> and, and there were a variety of ways that this came down on Balaam. Uh, he, he went with them, and then uh, he, he goes, and, and he still can't curse them. God won't let him curse them. But you remember on the way what happened to him? An angel stood in the way, and he's riding this donkey, and the donkey sees the angel and refuses to go, and uh, then actually crushes his leg up against the wall, and <laughs> Balaam starts beating the donkey, and the donkey talks to him. says, why are you beating me? <laughs> I mean, you, now, the, the, when you read this, the conversation seems to just go on normally. Could you carry on a normal conversation if a donkey spoke to you? I, I mean, it's, it's like, wait a minute. But I think he is so angry, he is so perturbed, that he begins to respond without recognizing. And then all of a sudden he sees the angel. And the angel said, if the donkey hadn't stopped, I'd have killed you. I'd have taken you down. Perfect illustration of knowing the truth and saying, no, I'm just not going to do that. Doesn't fit with my schedule. It's not what I want. Another fellow by the name of Saul, who became the king of Israel, was given very, very strict directions from the Lord. And he was told that before he goes to battle, and I'll, I'll compress this, he's fighting against the Philistines, and the Philistine army is rising against him, and his people have not gathered to him as yet, so that he would have a defensible uh, an army that could provide the defense that he needed. But there was to be a sacrifice offered before the battle began, and the sacrifice was only to be offered by the man of God, Samuel. But Samuel wasn't showing up. And, and Saul is looking, and he's saying, Whoa, uh, what, what are we going to do? Uh, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. And he offers the sacrifice in opposition to what God said. Now you say, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that something that God would want? Offering of a sacrifice? Not if he said not to. When God speaks, that overrides everything else. And God spoke, and here comes Samuel, and Samuel says to Saul, what have you done? Oh, it's not that big a deal. I just, I just... 
didn't listen to you here. I, I know what you had to say, but I didn't listen to it. I chose to go my own way because I felt like I needed this sacrifice before we go to war. My feelings became more important than your revelation. And Samuel says to Saul, this is a big thing. You're going to lose the kingdom because of this. And we see how Saul's life degenerated from that point, even to the point where he went to a witch to try to get counsel. And you look at this and you say, people who are given the word of God, who claim to know God, and say, I'm not going to obey God, fall into the same category. And they may think they're okay, but they're not okay. I see the hypocrisy in some lives that embrace this. They will use God's word to judge others, but they themselves refuse to obey what God's word says. That's hypocrisy. People who are self-righteous. Well, I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, and if God says something, I don't really have to obey it. I'll pick and choose what I want to obey. Do you know where I see this happen? When I have opportunity to give counsel to people going through difficulties and you open the Word of God and you say, here is what God says you should do. And they walk out of the office and they say, yep, that's what God says. Nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't care what God says. Stubborn ears. There's a third set of ears that's described for us in the book of Matthew. And we would call these dulled ears. Um, in Matthew chapter 13, it says uh, Jesus is speaking uh, to, to the disciples. Let me give you the background. He has just given the parable of the sowers who, who sowed the seed. Some of it fell on the, the high on the road. Some of it fell on the rock. Some of it fell where the weeds came up. And some of it fell out in good ground. And, and three of them, the, the three on the, the road and on the rocks and in the weeds. Uh, the, they spring up quickly, but then they're, they're done. They, they never amount to anything because they, they didn't have root and they didn't um, embrace their, the, the place of nutrients, so to speak. But then the stuff that fell into the good ground, that sprang forth and produced fruit. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why don't you just flat out tell them that people, the first three, don't even know you? They've heard about you. They, they, know, they know all about you, but they don't know you. Why don't you just tell them that? Why don't you just tell them that, that it's the seed that actually takes root and grows and bears fruit? That's the only true 
fruit that receives your word? And Jesus gives an answer that you and I would not expect if we did not understand a sovereign God. Listen to what Jesus said to the disciples when they asked him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You say, wait a minute. That almost sounds as if the Lord is withholding from them that which they would need to respond. Could that be? Well, let's look at another portion of God's Word to determine that. In Deuteronomy, God's speaking to His people, and He speaks through Moses. And in verse 2 of Deuteronomy chapter 29, it says this, Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs, and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to to hear to this very day. Do you all get what that's saying? The only way that we're ever going to understand the Word of God is if He allows us to. Uh, that, that's not what we like to hear. We like to hear, you know what, if I just make the right decisions, I'll be okay. And then I'll be able to say to God, oh, look, look what I did. I, I did the right thing. And God would say to every one of us, none of you will do the right thing. It is my grace that opens up your heart to understand the truth. And rather than express the truth, for which they will become accountable, even though they will not accept Christ. I will be merciful to them by hiding from them the truths that they will not embrace. And in my sovereign plan, I will open up the eyes of whom I will. And when you respond in faith, and you trust Christ, you will have one word that you will be able to say. Two words. Praise you. It wasn't me. It was you. Somebody might be sitting here today saying this. You know what? This is a little bit confusing to me right now. But I have to admit that what you've said is something that I've really wrestled with. I, I come every week, well, maybe every other week. Maybe I come once a year, and I hear this same message. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So what good would it be for me? And then my response to you is this. You ask God to open the eyes of your understanding so that you will see the seriousness of your lost condition and of your sin. And by faith you will respond and you will believe in Christ as your Savior as the people around you do. And, and you say, they all seem to get it. I just don't get it. Then ask God to show you. Is that a reasonable thing? Now some of you are, are, are thinking through what I just said. But don't deny what God says, okay? 
You, you can argue with me all you want, but don't deny what God says. He says, I haven't opened their eyes. Do you know what that means? He hasn't opened their eyes. That's what it means. But when I do, then you can come to me. Your ears are dull. Ask me to open your understanding so that I might believe. A fourth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we read this. And this, this is kind of the, uh, the curse on pastors. <laughs> it says this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Why is this such a curse to pastors? Well, any pastor that wants to preach the truth understands something. There's people out there that don't want to hear what the Bible has to say. Just telling you the truth. Do you understand, I really have to struggle to keep my job here? Because there aren't many churches that would have me. Do you understand that? They wouldn't have me. Did you hear what pastor said today? He said, we are all sinners. He said, we are condemned because of that sin and separation from God. He said, we can't come to God a variety of different ways. He said, you can only come one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Get rid of that guy. We have itching ears. We want somebody to take their little finger and Tickle them. Get that itch out of there. Ah, ah, Several years ago, well, this now is a lot of years ago, I think I might have told you about this. I was involved in a debate on television. It was a, a local um, show in Detroit, and uh, it was called Kelly and Company. Did I tell you all about this? No? Uh, you, you forget, right? See, I can't even remember if I told you. <laughs> um, and what they did, the, the uh, network invited in three women pastors, two of whom were lesbians. And they invited a Catholic priest and myself to take the other side of the argument as to why women should not be pastors, let alone lesbian women being pastors. And they gave the ladies the first half hour of the show. And I'm sitting in the back, and I had just come to, to Farmington Hills, to the church there. Uh, I am just sweating bullets. And there's a gal back there that's sitting with me. They had done all the makeup stuff and, and things like that. And I just said to her, I said, I am so nervous she looked at me and she said do you know what you believe I said yeah she said well go out there and tell them 
I was still nervous. <laughs> and I went out, and in this process, our church had been praying that two things would emerge. Number one, that we believe in the authority of God's Word as the ultimate final authority. The Catholic priest did not believe that, and he expressed that. And the second thing is that we could give the gospel of Christ. And the Lord provided that opportunity. It just, the door was wide open and we just gave the gospel. And whatever God did with that, that's, that's up to him. But in this encounter, the lesbian women would look at me and they would say, well, Jesus never spoke about gays. Jesus never spoke. And all they did, they kept focusing on what Jesus said. And the truth of the matter is, you'd have a hard time finding anything that Jesus said about a number of different issues that are addressed in the rest of Scripture. But here's what it came down to. They only wanted to hear certain things, and the rest of Scripture was insufficient and not a priority. It was not the Word of God. It's, it, when, those of you who have gone through my prospective members class, you remember when I ask you the question and I try to trap all of you and if you ever think about becoming a member here, just know that I'm going to ask you this question and try to get it right. Okay? Does this book contain the Word of God? No. It is the Word of God. And there is a huge difference because they will say, oh yes, this contains the word of God and wherever God speaks lovingly and kindly and he's not going to be too harsh and he's not going to be too myopic and he's not going to be too exclusive. And they totally ignore what the rest of God's word says, which is very, very clear. You say, well, that was years ago. I've had the same thing happen again in the last month. Same thing. People with itching ears who only want to hear what makes them feel good. Now you understand, these four are really a problem. Until you come to the fifth. And when you come to the fifth, you find that there are listening ears. In Matthew... Chapter 13, Jesus then comes to the conclusion of that parable that he told about the sowing of the seeds. And, he sa and it says this, But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some 30. Earlier in that parable, he said, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you understand that that's where we are today? In this congregation, there may be all types of ears. Those that don't even want to hear the truth. You tuned me out a long time ago. You can't even hear that I'm saying this right now because you're somewhere else and so why continue in that because it's a waste of time. And then there are the stubborn. Yeah, that's what God says, but I don't care. I'm just not going to do that. My feelings are more important than what God's word has to say. And then there are the dull ears. Well, I, I, 
I don't get it. I, I just don't understand. And then there are the itching ears. I only want to hear that which makes me feel good. And by the way, I, I, I really need to throw this out. Does God's word make you feel good? It does. It really does. The greatest promises that you can ever... I will never leave you nor forsake you. I go and prepare a place for you so that where I am there you may be also. The righteous may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers, them out of the, uh, delivers him out of them all. Are they, I mean, are there good things? Yes, but this morning isn't one of those times. This is a time to say, what kind of ears do I have? Are my ears itching? Are they dull? Are they stopped? Are they, am, am I just being a hard-nosed, stubborn individual saying, no, I'm not going to do what God says? Or can I walk out of here today and say this? By the grace of God, I'm listening to what he has to say. And I'm going to obey it. Just thought of something I could do. I could say, all those of you who are making that commitment, stand and leave. (laughs) And the rest of you just stay here for the rest of the week. No, no, no. I won't do it that way. I I can't help it. Things like that go through my mind when I'm preaching. And I'm just thinking, okay, I, I, I can't do that. That's no good. But this is good. I am asking you this. Are you willing to make a decision that says, God, by your grace, I want to hear and I want to obey? Would you be willing to do that? Let's all stand. Father, as the psalmist spoke, he he said words that were very harsh. And he addressed issues that were very, very difficult, especially in his day and in his personal circumstances. But Father, from those harsh words we find a warning, a warning that he put before us that the way we listen is extremely important. And I pray that as we go from here, every one of our people would examine him or herself and be honest and say, what kind of ears do I have? And Lord, unless they are listening ears, I pray that you would help them to confess that, to forsake it, and to open up their ears, their hearts, and their minds to the truth of your word. Father, to live any other way is to fall far short of that which you desire of your people. Help us to be your people. Amen. God bless.